Just as people and goods move across borders, banks can establish a presence in a foreign country as a way to introduce capital to new markets. But just who are they lending to? On the one hand, they could just lend to big businesses that seem less risky, shutting off access to capital for small and medium-sized businesses. Or they could introduce new competition into the market and actually give businesses the ability to borrow at lower rates. On today's episode, we see how the entrance of foreign banks into developing countries affects the ability for new businesses to form and what this means for development. You're listening to the Success Project podcast series. The NYU Development Research Institute, DRI, was founded by William Easterly and Yao Nyarko. DRI, understanding the barriers to growth and development. Here to talk with me today about the effect of foreign banking is Charles Calamiris of Columbia University co-author with Laura Alfaro and Torsten Beck of the paper Foreign Bank Entry in Entrepreneurship. Charles, thank you for coming on the program. It's a pleasure. Nice to be with you. Thank you. So what is exactly meant by foreign banking? Is that Citibank setting up shop in another country? Are they buying out domestic banks? When we use this term, an increase in foreign banking, how can we actually picture it? It's just what you said. It's when a foreign bank establishes a brick-and-mortar presence in another country. And they could do that by buying out a bank, and that's typically what they do, because it's hard to do what's sometimes called greenfield banking, which means that you're establishing the bank and building it up from scratch. So typically, foreign bank entry does take the form of purchasing an existing bank. And is there ever a case then where, a let's say, an American bank is lending from their brick-and-mortar locations here to developing countries using electronic payments, for example, without the brick-and-mortar setup? You can certainly have uh, banks lending without having brick-and-mortar presence in an emerging market country. But when they do that, they're typically lending to very large corporations in those countries. We're studying small and medium-sized enterprises and looking at, um, in particular, or our interest is mainly in small and medium-sized enterprises, and in in particular, what's the role when foreign banks engage in brick-and-mortar entry into a developing country how does that affect um, small business? And our measure of that, as you know, is, is uh, new business entry. So it's true that you can accomplish. In fact, you know, in countries like Mexico and Brazil um, and other countries, back in the 1970s even, there was large lending to corporations by American banks without establishing brick-and-mortar presence. Uh, but when you're looking at lending to small and medium-sized enterprises, or individuals in a country, you need that brick-and-mortar presence. Now, your paper obviously looked to try to solve some sort of mystery. If we knew the effect that foreign, an increase in the presence of foreign banks had on small and medium enterprises, you, you probably wouldn't write the paper. So what are the different channels about why we might expect positive results, negative results? What, what is the mystery behind? Well, the literature actually has... Um, posited that you could get positive or negative results. And what, what that begins with is the recognition that when foreign banks enter a country, at least initially, they may rely a lot on hard information lending. 
and on already very established credit risks. Why? Because they don't know the country maybe as well. Uh, that's one point of view. So that point of view would say, well, so when the foreign banks enter, they have a lot of capital and they devote it um, maybe primarily toward um, the largest firms, the best credit risks. And then the question is, uh, first of all, is that true? Maybe not. Maybe the foreign banks come in and they hire uh, pre-existing loan officers and they can use the same information that those loan officers had when they were working for another bank. And maybe what they're bringing is some better techniques and more capital that allows the foreign banks to grow their small business lending. Another uh, view is that even if the, the large banks coming from the U.S. are entering into a developing country and focusing mainly on pre-established, well-known large firms, even if that were true, that may simply cause the other domestically char uh, headquartered banks in that developing country to therefore shift, sort of move their focus to more lending to small and medium-sized enterprises. So the, the foreign banks are likely to be, I would say, coming from theory, they're likely to have a positive influence. The question is, are they having a positive influence directly through their own lending to the small and medium-sized businesses or indirectly by sort of the effect that they're pushing domestic banks out of lending to large enterprises and into lending to more small and medium-sized enterprises. So my own expectation in theory was that we would find that they would have a positive effect. And uh, But some people have argued that they might have a negative effect because they come in, they are uh, – taking some business banks that were already lending to small and medium-sized enterprises, and because of their own lack of information, maybe they specialize too much in lending to large enterprises. So you can tell, in theory, you can tell the story either way. My own prior was that we would find a positive effect, and we're still, uh, we're going to have to do another paper to tease out the precise mechanism of, of it, whether it's through the direct lending or the indirect lending effect. So on the one hand, if, if you take it as given that foreign banks are going to go lend only to those big companies, that could have two different results. One is that uh, that means that more credit is available for their small and medium enterprises. And then the, or the other effect is that they could this new competition would put the domestic banks out of business, which means that no one is lending to the new businesses and only the big ones get credit. Right. But it, I mean, I find it hard to believe that it puts them out of business. The part I, I would find more plausible is just that when the foreign bank comes in, replacing the banks they've purchased, they change the direction of the business away from lending to small and medium-sized enterprises. That's plausible. I'm not saying it happens, but that's at least plausible. I don't, I don't think that it makes much sense to me to argue that the other banks, the ones they're not acquiring, are somehow not able to lend to small and medium-sized businesses. That, that part I don't, I don't agree with. So, so what did your paper find was the effect of an increase in, in foreign banking in these countries? So the first thing that we're finding, maybe not too surprisingly, is that entry into developed countries by other countries' banks isn't having a big effect on business formation. Not surprising, right? You wouldn't expect that whether a Japanese bank comes to the U.S. or a Chilean bank comes to the U.S., this is not going to have much effect on anything because we already have a mature financial system. And foreign entry isn't about building the institutions of American finance. So if you're already in a developed country, you're just not going to find much of an effect. And that is what we find. But then we saw, well, in emerging market countries, 
in developing countries, when you have uh, foreign entry, you do have a positive effect on business formation. Um, and interestingly, it's not just an average effect that's interesting, but also to do the sort of causal analysis, we want to see, is that really reflective of some sort of um, influence, of ca some causal influence? How do you figure it out? Well, you use a, 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 an interaction test. You ask, is that effect largest in industries that are exogenously dependent on the, on external finance. So you use U.S. data to identify those industries within manufacturing that are particularly technologically, you might say, dependent on getting finance to be able to grow. And then you ask, is the effect of foreign bank entry on business formation in a developing country, is that bigger in the manufacturing industries that we know are exogenously more dependent on external finance? Because those are the ones we'd expect to have the bigger r r result. And so we do find that it is. Um, then furthermore, final sort of major result is that we say, what, what happens when that foreign entry is coming from uh, a developing economy bank rather than a developed country bank? And we find that the effect is even larger. And what what then of that last point is the the interpretation? Is it that a developing country bank might be more familiar with the type of uh, business climate that they're going into exactly. than a developed country? Exactly. And you know, business climate can mean different things. It it can mean knowing in a, an environment where the legal system might have some tricky aspects, or the political system might have some tricky aspects. Knowing how to navigate those. So there are some problems in lending that are specific to developing countries because the process of lending isn't quite identical in the, in the two environments. Let me give you an example of this. So uh, I'm doing some work in a different project with uh, my colleague uh, Mauricio Lorraine here at Columbia Business School and some other uh, people. And what we're finding is that it seems to be particularly difficult in many emerging market countries to collateralize loans with what are called movable assets, with things like accounts receivable or inventory materials or um, machinery even, as compared to real estate assets. So the, the local legal environments are very different. Um, what, what's different about them? They may not allow the registration of a collateral interest. They may not allow the out-of-court enforcement of the seizure of the collateral. And so in some developing countries, these things which are crucial for collateralizing against movable assets are not very well developed. And so if you've had experience with those environments, you might know the, the get around. How do you get around some of those problems? What are the kinds of things you need to do? There may also be certain political aspects to the environment that um, you're more familiar with knowing how to deal with what I might call, for lack of a better term, crony capitalist environments, and knowing how to navigate the special sort of political challenges of those environments. So those might be, I'm not saying that they are, but they might be, in theory, something that a, a country coming from another developing country, a bank, sorry, coming from another developing country is going to be able to navigate better. So it's an open question, but in fact, we are finding that they're uh, better at it, or at least they're doing more of it. Another way to put it is they themselves may see that as their comparative niche. 
that they're that move they know how to do small and medium sized business lending maybe they think this is the place when we enter another developing country this is what we're going to focus on why then is this new business formation or small to medium enterprises so important for these developing countries if companies are doing well and getting credit why does it matter if they're small or big why did you decide to focus on new business formation throughout the world you know small businesses that become medium sized businesses this is the engine of growth typically that you know new ways of doing things uh it's not that large businesses are necessarily unproductive but if we're thinking about where productivity change is coming from throughout the world there tends to be a special role for small and medium sized businesses and they're also a source of competition because after all especially in some of these um sort of difficult political environments large firms often use the political process to protect themselves and often they are less productive and partly because they've been part of a sort of protected um industry conglomerate political uh system and so small even more so therefore in developing countries when you empower small and medium sized enterprises with finance this can really shake up the productivity of the local economy you know once when i was in mexico in 1995 thinking all about what i'm telling you uh right after the mexican crisis i was working for the world bank on a project there and i came to this meeting and i said well you know we need to establish arms length lending so that we can have small and medium sized enterprises growing and you know the work against the problems of the crisis and so let's strengthen the registration of movables collateral and let's do these other things and everyone burst out laughing and i said what did i say that was funny and they said you think we need some professor from the united states to tell us that we've we know that that would make sense so i said so why aren't you doing it and they said the banks don't want us to do that and then i was really puzzled why was it that the mexican banks didn't want to improve collateral registries and the answer was clear the mexican banks were themselves part of industrial conglomerates so establishing better rules for arms length lending or freedom of entry of allowing foreign banks to come into mexico either of those would actually reduce their own death grip on the supply of credit. So that competition then is a good way to try to enforce competition against these politically connected companies. Absolutely. Who who are getting credit from the, from the banks just because Absolutely. of their connections. And and we are seeing one of the robust results from the foreign bank entry literature is that politically connected lenders are relatively disadvantaged by foreign bank entry. Obviously, because they're not part of that game. The other thing is that they're not part of the the game of being bailed out and taking a lot of bad risks. They're not willing to take bad risks. Foreign bank entry is not just a kind of technical point. It's a transformational political economy uh point. It it really affects the whole notion of competition and the nature of relationships between banks and enterprises. And so they're also a constituency for good reforms of the institutions. So when Citibank enters a country, it wants movables collateral law enforcement to be better. So unlike when I was in Mexico in 1995, the existing banks didn't want those laws because those laws would have disadvantaged them and their enterprise conglomerates. When these banks then come into the developing countries, it's their their motivation of doing so is because they have capital that is looking for a higher return than they could otherwise 
find in their home country. But with this increase of credit then in the developing country, um, is there an increase of business failure? So like even if we decide that there is this strong relationship between business formation and economic growth, is it possible that this ac- this increase of credit is sort of too easy of credit? And even if these mm-hmm. businesses are forming, they don't do very well two years down the line. Does your does your paper look at that at all? Or did you sort of just stop at formation? We, we didn't look at, at that. Um, I would almost, you know, I, I could certainly see how if you have more businesses, you're going to have more business failures. It's almost for sure. Um, and I, I guess if you strengthen creditors' rights and you make this all occur on a less crony basis, you're going to have some businesses going out of business. That's probably a really good thing. <laughs> the, the problem is when you only have a few businesses and they never go out of business, they tend to be very unproductive along the way. Right. I think, um, you know, some countries, uh, when they try to protect capital flows coming in hot money, so Mm -hmm. to speak, um, it's because this sudden shock of of credit can then cause like volatility in investment. And so that's sort of what I'm getting at with the business failures. Maybe there's so much business formation, which we know is typically a good thing, but maybe um, the businesses are forming and then not performing too well. So we we have some evidence on that from other papers, not, not this paper that I did. So the evidence on the effect of foreign entry on the volatility of credit in a banking system is that foreign entry tends to be associated with less volatile credit. And the reason is that the, uh, especially on the downside during recessions, foreign banks, because they are diversified internationally, they can bring capital in. So when they have losses because of a domestic recession, that doesn't mean that they have to cut their lending. Whereas a domestic bank that doesn't have that diversification, if they have losses, they typically cut their lending. So actually, foreign banks are a stabilizing force, with one exception, and that was the crisis after 2008. Because in that case, they were experiencing losses in their home countries, and they had to cut their business in developing countries consequently. So as long as they're not experiencing major losses in their own home country that's forcing them to have to contract lending, Foreign banks tend to be a source of of, stabiliza- of both increased lending and stabilization of lending in developing countries. And one of their main advantages, of course, is the diversification and low cost uh, of capital that they bring. So there's diversification of their loan portfolio across countries, but then also just the fact that they're operating and much closer to the U.S. capital markets and they can raise money there. When I was working in Mexico on a different project, in um, 2000, the question was, what would happen to the existing uh, banks in Mexico? They just decided in 1997 to relax the limits on foreign entry, and so we started seeing foreign entry of of banks from the U.S. and Europe into Mexico. And then uh, I remember interviewing the Banamex CEO at that time. So that was the, the largest commercial bank in Mexico as part of this research I was doing for the central bank or the, I, I guess it was actually the superintendencia of, of uh, banks. And uh, asked him, yeah, are you planning to remain independent? And what he said was, well, yes, uh, but you know, it's really hard for us because now we're competing against banks that have the ability to raise capital at a cheaper price than we do, equity capital. And my guess is that that was ultimately what led Banamex to be purchased by Citibank, was just the fact that 
you can't really compete with somebody who can raise capital and so they can fund loans on a stable basis much better than you can. Uh, so I think that's, the, you know, th that's kind of where these foreign banks are getting their advantage, not just their experience, not just their diversification across countries, but also the fact that they can raise capital more cheaply. Is the biggest implication from all this that, I mean, obviously it sheds a lot of good light on seeing how foreign bank entry interacts with the local business environment, but then is another takeaway that countries should always try to limit the barriers to bank entry? Was there anything in your paper that showed that sometimes um, negative effects could happen depending on d different situations of where the bank was coming from or different regions? No. I mean, as I said, what we're finding is that banks that are coming from other developing countries have even stronger effects on small business entry in these manufacturing uh, sectors. But uh, no, we, we don't find any negative aspect, but just a differential strong aspect coming from the other developing country entry. There's pretty high variance um, across developing countries of how much foreign bank presence is there. Um, so what, what is the reason for that? Why would certain developing countries have really high foreign bank presence mm -hmm. and then other ones? There are two reasons. One of them is that foreign banks may be prohibited from entering. Um, it's not really until the late 1990s that we see this huge wave of foreign bank entry. I mean, I would even go so far as to say in the latter quarter of the 20th century, the single most important change in financial institution structure worldwide is the entry of brick and mortar banks into emerging market countries. That that really was a phenomenon largely of the 1990s. The fall of the Soviet Union and of the, uh, the, the liberalization of Eastern European countries allowed huge entry by European banks into Eastern Europe, Latin America, and Asia, particularly after crises, like the crisis in 1995 in Mexico, like the Asian financial crisis. And so what has happened is when you have a crisis, people need credit, and so previously existing barriers tend to come down. So there's, this was a huge, big change. So prior to the 1990s, it was much, much less frequent to see countries having this. But then the other thing that's now, I would say, just as important is that some countries aren't as desirable as places for banks to enter. So, you know, Citibank doesn't enter randomly. It enters into places that tend to be the fastest growing and best kinds of legal system uh, and environments where they can, their business opportunities that they know how they, they can take advantage of based on their own prior experience. You know, it has to be that there has to be a match between what's permitted and what the foreign banks want to do. And you'll see a lot of variation. So uh, Standard Chartered Bank, its whole business model is very, very different. They tend to focus a lot on trade finance. Their, you know, operations are very different from as an international bank. So they all have slightly different niches of how they're doing lending. And that affects which countries they want to enter into because some countries are better matches for their business model than others. So overall, if, if we see a positive effect of foreign banking on new business formation, there are a lot of other things that cause that. Of course, if there's general economic growth in a, com in a country, there's going to be business, new business formation. So is this increase in foreign bank entry sort of a drop, of, drop in the bucket, or is it really a game changer when it comes to causing new businesses to form? Well, you raised you know, the like $64,000 question, as we used to say, when $64,000 was a lot of money. Yes. Um, and the $64,000 question is, is there a causal effect 
or is this just reflecting the strengths of these countries that are able to attract them? And that's why you spend, we spend a lot of time looking at these interaction effects. Because if you were going to see that all businesses are kind of rising together, then you might think this is just a reflection of, of the, the rising business climate. But if you see that it's businesses that are particularly in need of an expansion of the supply of credit that are being affected by the foreign entry, then that gives weight to the causal argument that the entry of the banks is, is expanding the available supply of credit. Because the banks could be coming in theoretically just because the economy is growing and, and they see that there's this attractive investment climate and they follow afterwards exactly. rather than... No, and, and we don't doubt that that's true. But the key causal question is, is the entry of the banks having a causal effect on business formation? Or is it simply appearing to have an effect because it's driven by something else. And that's why that interaction effect is so important for helping to disentangle the causal relationship. We think that it's pretty clear that they're having a causal effect. That's not to say that there isn't also a reverse causality where growth is causing them to enter. But we are abstracting from that in our regression estimates, only placing our emphasis on the interaction effect after controlling for that effect that applies to all the industries. Charles, thank you for coming on the program. My pleasure. This episode of The Success Project was recorded at Columbia University, hosted by Will Comperl and produced by Carmen Cuesta-Roca. Visit nyudri.org to listen to more episodes in our series, read Charlie's paper, and find out more about The Success Project. This project was made possible through the support of a grant from the John Templeton Foundation. The opinions expressed in this publication are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the John Templeton Foundation. Hey podcast listeners, we've got a special treat for you for sticking around after the credits. This is a song Charles recorded with his group Electricity about Donald Trump. If you want to listen to other songs about Hillary Clinton or Ted Cruz, you can go to soundcloud.com slash electricity. This one is called New York Moon. Don't you make fun of my comb over. Don't you believe I'm some pushover. I'm not for sale like those other guys. I can do the job, give me a try. Time's up, we'll have a roundup. Eleven million in a bus with kids, so what? Don't make a fuss. Get back, you gotta get back. My goon squad at night will maraud. Eleven million in a bus. Get them the heck away from us. We'll build ourselves quite a Charm and good looks, they don't mind.
your time's up, we'll have a roundup. Eleven million in a bus with kids, so what? Don't make a fuss. Get back, you gotta get back, my goon squad.